Life can take us on unexpected paths that leave us with emotional wounds and scars. But these scars do not have to be a burden that we carry alone. I'm Jocelyn Biederset, a childhood sexual assault survivor, and this is Invisible Scars, a podcast where we connect and learn from those who have come out stronger on the other side of trauma. So welcome to episode one of Invisible Scars. And today I'm so excited about my guest. She is my best friend in the whole world, Susie Sitzworth. Hi, everybody. Welcome. So first, I just kind of wanted to go over why I wanted to start this podcast since it's the first episode. I really got to a point in my life, you know, that I started to decide it was time to really start healing from the things that were holding me back in my life. And we're really going to get into that today. And with the first episode, I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork of what happened to me so that there are people out there who could feel seen, who could really relate to this. So basically, today, I'm going to hand everything over to you. Okay. And you are just going to kind of take the reins. No pressure. No No pressure. pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So I also kind of wanted to introduce you and how we know each other, why I wanted you to do this with me. Okay. Yes. So we've known each other for... I don't even know how long. I don't know. A really long time. You are literally the longest relationship of my life. The most consistent. You're the longest relationship of my life if I'm excluding my mom (laughs) and my dad and my siblings. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And when this came up and we were trying to decide who, you know, was going to do this with me, I actually had a really hard time for some reason. I wanted to ask you, was scared to ask you. Which I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know why. I sent a lot of cryptic text messages. (laughs) (laughs) I was afraid you'd say no. But at the end of the day, even my husband was like, there's nobody else on this world that could do this with you. And he was 100% right. You are my therapist, my friend, my everything. And you're actually a real therapist. I am. I actually am a trained therapist. I'm a trained counseling psychologist. So I'm qualified in that way. But also, I, of course, have known you for so long. And I was so excited to be a part of Yeah, just this idea of you sharing your story, because as we get into the details, you know, it's unfortunately, you know, a common story in some ways. And it's often not talked about. Actually, in fact, it's never talked about. Yes. You know, it's interesting, like you say that. And since Invisible Scars has gone live on Instagram and on social media, before we've even launched our first episode, the amount of people that have reached out to me saying like, this is so important. Thank you so much. Um, I have this has happened to me. I've never told anybody, not even my parents. Like it blows my mind. It breaks my heart. It like in those moments where I'm like, what the heck am I doing? Why am I doing this? I'm like, oh, that's why. Like it literally reminds me of exactly why I want to do this. Yeah. But it's and as we get into the details, I mean, it's incredibly courageous um you telling your story. Oh, um, and you. I'm just so excited to be a part of that. Me too. Okay, but before we do, yes, we have decided that before every episode, we're gonna do a little icebreaker and kind of let everybody in on some things we're doing this week, me and whoever the guest is, to, you know, positive affirmations, things we're doing to help us get through the hard times. And I would love to hear from you actually what you would recommend to your patients. Also what you as a clinical psychologist is doing for you in your own mental health. I would love to know. So I'll go first. Basically, right now, I'm really in the habit of telling myself it is safe for me to do blank. Like at night when I can't sleep or in the middle of the night when my thoughts are going wild, um, I'll say to myself, like, it is safe for me to let these thoughts go. It is safe for me to go to sleep. It is safe for me to be calm. Even sometimes with like relationships, like it is safe for me to let this toxic person go. I love that. Yeah. And it works for some reason. I don't know the mind-body connection. Like it just, it calms my nerves. I love it. 
Uh, yeah, no, I love that one. Um, one of the ones that I do for myself or, you know, I try to do, and it's a difficult <laughs> one to do for me and for a lot of other people, but saying no. Mm. Yes, just a simple no. And I always tell my patients that no is a sentence. I love that. In itself. Yeah. No uh, is a full sentence. No is a full sentence. We often spend so much time almost explaining ourselves. Yeah. Um, feeling like, guilty. Yeah, feeling guilty or feeling like we should. Yeah. And really, the answer can just be no. No, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I can't I can't make it work. Yeah. Um. So practicing this idea that no is a full sentence. I love that because I'm really bad at that. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's yeah. a tough one for a lot of us, myself included. Yeah. Also, when I like give people permission to say no, I do that to you. Susie, um, you can say no, um, but I have this question for you. Do you want to be on my <laughs> podcast? <laughs> but you can totally say no. <laughs> I did say yes. I did did say say yes yes to this. And I actually wanted to say yes to this. (laughs) Awesome. So also before we get into this episode, I did want to mention to everybody, just as a trigger warning, you know, this episode will include details of child sexual abuse, um, various forms of abuse, and it could be really triggering to some people. So just before we get into that, um, you know, it's a it's a heavy episode, but it's really it's an important episode. I think probably one of the most important ones that I'll ever share. We're going to get to know you. And um, over obviously the other episodes that you have, you're going to share a lot of details about yourself in the present. But this episode, we're going to take it to the beginning. Hearing from you. Yeah. Kind of where where it all started for you. So why don't you take us back to like the very beginning and just tell me where you grew up, who you grew up with, and just kind of those pieces of who were in your immediate family. I wish I could say that like the beginning was just this really happy childhood, but it wasn't. It was just the cards I was dealt. Um, You and I both grew up in a small town in northern BC in Prince George. And when I was born, my mom was quite young when she got pregnant. I want to say like 18 or something like that. And that in itself brings a lot of hardship for young women. So she had a lot of vices that never really went away. And, um, you know, she suffered with drug abuse, alcohol abuse, and she was really neglectful. She was violent. um, And there was a lot of domestic violence in my home growing up. And you grew up with mom, dad at the time? No. So I never actually knew my dad. I've never met my dad. Um, There was always a huge absence of a father figure in my life. The closest thing I had, I'd say, is my grandfather, my mom's dad. Um, And we were extremely close when I was little. Um, My mom did get married when I was, I think I was like six or seven. I was quite young. And then they had my brother. So there was a time where I had a stepdad, but again, there was just, they were so young and there was just like so much partying going on. And um, it was a really unstable, scary environment. I never felt safe. And honestly, I never felt loved. Like my mom and I were never close. And I don't ever actually remember her, you know, telling me that she loved me. Yeah. And with your childhood, you know, growing up in such a, you know, violent environment, do you remember kind of the first memory of maybe this idea that this wasn't normal or or tell me about kind of that first time you realized like well maybe this isn't normal mm, i always knew 
I don't ever remember feeling like, you know, my family is normal. Um, not that I even like to use that word. But yeah, it just I always knew. I mean, I was quite close with my cousin growing up and she very much grew up in a traditional family. And I spent a ton of time there and I loved being there. And they would like take me on family vacations with them. Like they knew the kind of environment I was living in and that I w- my little body was under constant stress and I was constantly scared and worried. So they would try and get me out of there all the time as much as they could. Um, the other thing too, like growing up, my friends were never allowed to come over. Like their parents kind of would know, you know, the environment I was living in and didn't want their children coming over, which was hard in school because I knew like I'd hear the whisperings, I'd hear the things and they'd be like, well, we can't come over because of your mom and dad. So I was always super embarrassed, super let down. And also growing up, like I grew up obviously in a lot of chaos and school was hard on me. Like I couldn't focus. I was always tired. I didn't do well in school just because we were always, there was parties in my house until the sun came up like on weeknights. So I never got any sleep and like it was hard, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, that would be exceptionally difficult. And how, okay, you mentioned your brother who is your mom and your stepdad's son. Yeah. So what was the age difference between you guys? I want to say like six years. You know, he it was my job to protect him. Like he also grew up in chaos. I will say like the relationship he had with my mom was very different than the relationship I had with her. She did show a lot of love and affection to him. And um, I was never upset by it. I always felt that I had to protect him just because of the violence and stuff that we've seen and what went on. Yeah. Why do you think your mom treated you and your brother differently? You know, I've spent so many years trying to break this down. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I think it all has to do with when she had me. I feel like she probably felt like her youth was taken away because of me. And she never got to be that young, carefree 20-year-old or whatever. And after conversations, I do know that she, she actually admitted to me in a conversation. I flat out asked her. Like I confronted her and she actually admitted to me that she never was able to connect with me. And it's not that she didn't love me. She just never was able to connect with me after I was born. Wow. And that this was a conversation that you had later in your life. Yes. Which we will get to. Yes. We will get to. Um, But yeah, that is a very challenging childhood. I don't think challenging really sums it up. That's a very traumatic environment. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned your grandfather um, as being kind of a pillar of um, support. And Mm -hmm. you remember having a lot of like warmth and love from him. So tell me a little bit about your grandfather. Yeah, he was um, my favorite person in the world. Honestly, he was everything to me. And probably the attachment I had to him was had a lot to do with the fact that I never had a dad and I was always so uncomfortable with men but he was my favorite person in the world and unfortunately him and my grandmother broke up when I was younger he also you know he had a drug addiction and an alcohol addiction and things went really south for him and he started um, turning into somebody that I didn't recognize and that was really devastating so once all that kind of started to happen I mean I can remember Christmases where you know, we couldn't find him. And then he would show up Christmas morning with some guy that we'd never seen before looking pretty grubby, like high and drunk and not himself. And like, that was how I remembered Christmas. So it was, it, things started to take a really bad turn around the time I was like seven to 10. 
And you remember um, kind of that feeling of seeing him being like high or drunk and Mm -hmm. what would be like the one emotion that you could say for us right now that would come up? You know what? I don't even know if I can pinpoint an emotion because it's just like a whole body freeze. Like I always freeze. And to see him in that way and like, you know, I grew up, I'm once my mom and my stepdad broke up, her and my grandfather started partying a lot together. And there would be, I remember seeing cocaine on the table in the mornings after I would get up. Like, and I knew, I knew what that was far earlier than I ever should have. And when those parties would go on in my house, like I remember like I would hide in the closet in my bedroom. Like that's what I would do is I would just close the doors in my closet, put all my bedding in there and I would just hide in the closet. And to this day, that's still something. It's so embarrassing to admit this now, but it's still something I still do. Like when I am in flight or flight mode, I go straight to the closet. And I, it's just something I've done my entire life. Yeah, it just feels safe. It's totally a, a sense of safety, security. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm so glad that you said that because a lot of times, you know, our coping strategies yeah. as young children that we adapt when, you know, we don't have a lot of resources mm-hmm. tend to be the ones that we actually still go to as adults. Yeah, it's so crazy because it is what I still do. Like, I remember times like stressful times later on in life where my husband was like, what are you doing? You're like in the closet. Like, are you okay? Like, so that is still to this day. I think I've even called you from a closet. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Like, Susie, I can't get out of the closet. I'm like, just open the door. (laughs) We can do this. Just say no. Just say no to the closet. No, but, you know, and it's it's fun to bring that lightheartedness sometimes to these things. But it's it's heavy, right? When you think about that, that like, you know, yourself as that little girl in the closet. Yeah. Bringing it not forward, but so you, you know, your grandfather and your mom partying a lot together. There's Mm. a lot of chaos at home. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what happened and what kind of led to the start of your really horrific and kind of harrowing experience with your abusers? Yeah. So, oh, it's a tough one. So, you know, my mom and my stepdad were in this cycle of makeup and breakup and they, you know, they would get these horrific, like violent fights. And then my mom would like call the police and then we'd end up in a women's shelter. And we spent a lot of, I can remember like spending birthdays in women's shelters and stuff and just that in itself. And then the people that they were surrounding themselves with at that point were just, it was really toxic and just not okay. So in between all of that, um, you know, my grandfather again was in his kind of spiral of doing drugs and getting into some really bad things with some really bad people. And we had met through him, the people that would go on to sexually abuse us. So I am a survivor of the Willow River child pornography case in the 90s. And that was all because of, you know, these people that my mother and my grandfather had introduced us to. Yeah. And why don't you tell us about the first time you remember um, meeting your abusers? Yeah. So um, my mom and my stepdad were together at the time, actually. And my brother and I were quite young. My brother was three, um, you know, and I must have been like eight or nine. And basically, we were, they were at a party at their friend's house, which they always took us to until w- hours into the morning. Um, and this is your mom and your stepdad. It is. Yeah. yeah. 
So the first time I ever met them, we left my parents' friend's house and we were like kind of asleep in the car and I'll never forget it. Um, They said to us, you know, we're just going to stop up the street because Papa's at a friend's house. And I remember being really excited because he was my favorite person in the world. And he, I was his favorite person in the world. Like there is no doubt in my mind that he loved me even more than I loved him. Like we were incredibly close and we pulled up to this trailer park and the, all of us, all four of us went in and I will never, ever forget that moment. I can picture it as clear as day. Um, I walked in and he was sitting, my papa was sitting at the table with his arm on the table looking straight out. And I walked in so excited and I was like, Papa, oh my gosh. And as a child, I knew immediately something was wrong. He would not look at me. He just kept looking forward and said hi. And we were told to go sit on the couch. And I was like, something is seriously wrong here. Like, where the hell are we? Like, I literally had no clue what was going on, but I knew it was like, sit down, shut up and something's wrong. And did you remember feeling afraid in that moment? Um, I felt like I was in trouble. Like the way that he was behaving, I remember thinking I did something wrong. Okay. That like somehow you had done something wrong and you were like made to go in the corner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was the night we met them. And I remember like the girl. Who, who is them? Um, Jim and Crystal were their names. So James Bennett, it was his actual name. And then Crystal Hendricks, they were the two that abused us. Um, And she was young, like very young. I want to say like 19. And he was like almost in his 40s, like late 30s kind of thing. But I mean, me being like nine or like eight or nine, like looking at her, she looked so young. And I I remember she was just such a small, petite girl and she was very pretty. And I was like, who is this? Like, I felt like she was like a teenager that I would look up to. Right. Like, I was just like, who is this really pretty girl? Like, what's going on? Where are we? Like, it was very confusing. Yeah, I can imagine. And how did the night unfold? Did you? You know what? I don't remember. Um, I just remember the last thing I remember is like something was very wrong with my grandfather. Um, And after that, those people became a regular in our life. Like they were friends with my grandfather. They were friends with my mom and my stepdad um, for a very long time. They would come out to our family cabin at a lake and stay the night. And they had this baby. And eventually um, my mom would say to me, like, Jim and Crystal want you to babysit their baby. And that's how it all started. And you were only eight years old at this time. Eight or nine. Yeah. Eight or nine. Yeah. And so this idea that an eight or nine year old would babysit a baby, right? It's absurd. It, yes. It's actually when I think back to it now, I'm like, how how did the adults in my life allow this to effing happen? Right. Like also not just babysitting, but overnight babysitting in Willow River, which is like a 30 minute drive outside of the city, Mm -hmm. like in the middle of nowhere. Also on a school night sometimes. And then they would drive me to school the next morning. Like nothing about it now looking back makes any sense. There's just so many layers of abuse and neglect. But why don't you Um, Tell us a little bit about when your mom's. So your mom says to you, "Okay, Jocelyn, you can go and babysit Mm -hmm. for Jim and Crystal. Yeah. So tell us about the first night that you go there to babysit. So, you know, it's funny because I felt so honored, like as a young kid, I was like, yeah, I want to make money. Like they trust me to babysit their baby. And at the same time, like my aunt, who I was also very close with, my mom's sister also had a baby who I loved. Like he was my whole world. Like Jordan was everything to me. I loved him. I carried him around. I changed his diapers. Like he was my baby. And so for somebody else to say, hey, this, I want her to babysit. Like I felt, I felt 10 feet tall. Like it was great. And 
I remember bits and pieces of the first time I went. Um, you know, she would come all the way into town to pick me up. And then... And your brother? My brother would come sometimes, but I the first few times it was just me. And okay. then they were going to drive me to school the next morning. And I remember... Gosh, this is crazy because I remember the first time in her driving me out in the truck and her saying to me like, oh, do you were on the way out to the to the trailer in Willow River? And she would say like, oh, are you a light sleeper? And in my immediate reaction was like, oh, my gosh, no. Like if the baby cries, I will hear it because in my head I'm thinking she's wondering if I'll ignore her baby and like I fall asleep and I won't hear it. And she was like, oh, no. OK, so I'm going to give you these little blue pills because our trailer's really loud and you won't be able to sleep. There's a ton of like kind of freaky noises kind of thing is how she played it. And I was like, well, this is really weird. And I remember questioning her being like, well, you know, what if I don't hear the baby? And she's like, no, these are a special kind of pill, like blah, blah, blah. I think she called them like butterfly pills or like fairy pills or something. And she was like, they'll help you. You'll still hear the baby, but they'll knock you out kind of thing. And then, um, you know, we got to the trailer and the gym was there with the baby and they'd kind of go over stuff with me about changing her diaper and doing all this stuff. And it all felt like I felt intimidated a little bit. And I remember like him saying to me, um, do you like chocolate? And I, I lied for some reason. And I was like, no, not really. And he was like, okay, well, we have all these chocolate bars, all these Kit Kats in the pantry. Like, do you want one? And I was like, no, no, I don't like chocolate. And I like thinking about it now, I just wanted to be polite. Like I didn't want to eat their food. Right. I was just like, I'm low maintenance. Right. And after they left and the baby was asleep, I was like, oh my gosh, I really want one of those chocolate bars. And like, not even a word of a lie. I went to the pantry. I opened it up and I was like, I'll just have one. They'll never know. And something stopped me. And I looked up and I was like, what if they have a camera in here and they can tell that I lied? And you remember having that thought. Yeah, I had that thought and I closed the pantry and walked away. And oh my fucking God, how did I know? Because that entire trailer was outfitted with like a closed circuit system. Like there was cameras in every room. And so like little nine-year-old me looking up thinking, what kind of thought is that? Like, how did I know? That is just so I have full body chills. Yeah. Just how strange yeah. and intuitive you were, though, at that moment. So you're not feeling like you're in danger. No. But something is yeah. kicking in for you yeah. where... Your brain is trying to tell you mm-hmm. something doesn't feel yeah. right about the situation. Yeah. You know what, too, though? As you're saying that, it reminds me that as a child who's grown up in such a traumatic environment, I learned at a very, very young age how to read people and how to read a room. Because I, entering any room in my house that my mom was in, I had to like walk in and be like, okay, is it safe? What kind of mood is she in? Am I going to be hurt? Am I going to be yelled at? Should I be scared? Like I had to read a room before I walked into it. So I became very good at like understanding my surroundings. Right. And reading that. Yes. And being very intuitive, like yes. that natural. You know, and that fight or flight is just in constant overdrive, right? Totally. So you're on high yeah. alert. Yeah. So looking back, the fact that I... I'll never forget looking up at the ceiling thinking, what if they have cameras here? Like, what an irrational thought. But I was dead on. Yeah. I mean, it seems irrational, but it was very Mm -hmm. rational at the time. So we're going to, I want to ask a lot more questions about the actual abuse. Yeah. So essentially, you know, mom is bringing you to trailer or Crystal or Jim is picking you up to go to trailer to watch the baby. So this is happening. Yeah. Brother's sometimes going with you. So that's going on. Mm -hmm. Tell me 
what is going on for you at home during this time. Yeah. So it's chaos, right? Like my, again, my mom and my stepdad are in constant violent fights, like outright, like it's just chaos. It's very traumatic environment to live in. And I'm going to my aunt's most weekends, um, unless my mom won't let me because she wants me to babysit my brother so they can go out. Um, and at the end of the weekends, I'm bawling hysterically to not go home. Like it was my entire family knew that it was a really unsafe, unhealthy environment, but nobody wanted to speak up because from what I understand, my mom would take me away. They were afraid that I wouldn't have somewhere to go. They were afraid that she would take me away and I wouldn't have an outlet or they wouldn't be able to know what was going on with me or protect me. It was total chaos. So at the time of the actual abuse, that's what's happening. But as we moved on past everything coming out, a lot more happened following that. Yes, I know you're a lot changed kind of after mm -hmm. um you know, the abuse was, yeah, you know, people understood what was happening to you. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, too, that's important to note is just like paying attention to how these people groomed me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. How did they groom you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, with Crystal being so young, she always kind of tried to relate to me in that way. So she would tell me, pick me up to go shopping and be like, I know things are really hard with your mom. So I wanted to give you a break. And do you want to talk about it? And they played really heavily on my relationship with my mother, just knowing how bad it was. And she'd be like, you know, my relationship with my mom was bad like that, too. Like, you know, I can always. And then she would start saying things to me like, I'll get I'll tell your mom I need a babysitter, but you can just come out here and stay with us and just get a break. And I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. I don't want to be at home. I'm freaking scared to be at home. And I was. I was constantly in fear. And um, and that's kind of what started happening. And when you when you say like what was happening during that time, it's interesting because um I don't have it went on for a really long time of us going out to that trailer, but I have so little memory of it because we were being drugged. And like the only real like I have one clear night that I remember completely everything and we'll get into that but prior to that I mean I have memories of zero I remember getting there I have one memory of like one morning that she was supposed to take me to school I remember bits and pieces of her getting me dressed like I couldn't dress myself and then I remember her walking me down the hallway out to the car and then the next thing I remember I'm in the lineup at elementary school waiting to go in and I don't remember anything else from the time I got there to the time I'm in the lineup at school. And I always found that I, I started to find it strange. In this period of time that you're getting dropped off, your brother's getting dropped off, you guys are staying mm -hmm. overnight, you're do you're not having a lot of memories because yeah. now you've come to understand that she was drugging you at the time with these pills you mm -hmm. weren't kind of... I kind of started to wonder. Yeah, so tell us about that. How, what ended up happening? You know, she's giving you these pills. You're starting to feel like, okay, this is feeling strange. I'm not having memories or I'm like, I'm showing up and the next thing I remember, I'm in elementary school. So yeah. What what happened? Yeah. So, I mean, at the time I was super close with my aunt, um, my mom's sister, and she was kind of like my saving grace at the time because, you know, my family, my extended family, like my grandparents and everything else was honestly in chaos as well. Like it was just chaos everywhere I went. And she was the only stable thing in my life. So I remember going to her one weekend um, and saying like, you know, something's not quite right here. 
I'm not remembering things. And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, well, Crystal gives me like these pills so I can sleep, but then I don't remember anything. And I remember her being like, I'm sorry, what? Like never take a pill from them. Next time she tries to give it to you, do not take them. And when you think about that response in general, what a strange response from Mm -hmm. the adult in your life, rather than saying, you know, you can't ever be around these people again. They're giving you pills. Mm -hmm. The response is don't take the pills. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because as I started to unfold this through therapy and healing, I, that is how I think now. I'm like, where was the, you're never going back there again. I'm going to talk to whoever, like this is never happening. Like this now as, as the adult, never in a million years would I send a child back there and say, just don't take them. Like yeah. it really upsets me and it's something I've had to really work through. Yeah. So, okay. So then you go back. Yeah. And what happens? So again, I go back there again, still really good friends with my grandfather and my parents. They're around all the time um, to the point where like I met Crystal's extended family. Like she had a cousin who was about my age and they would come up and visit. So they'd come out to our family cabin at a lake and like it just kept going and going. Um, But the next time I went out there, um, she picked my brother and I up and uh, we got there. And her and Jim and the baby were there and they said, you know what, this was kind of a surprise. We're not going out tonight. We just wanted to give you guys a break because of how things are at home. And I like we spent that day having so much fun. Like we were out in the yard as a family, like their dog was there. We played games. We played board games like they took us over to their neighbor's house and introduced us to the neighbors out there. And like it felt like a family unit to the point like I'd never had that as a child. Like my parents never sat down and played with us or interacted with us like that. Like it felt like what I'd been missing in my life. And looking at it now, they were trying to make me feel as safe and comfortable as I could there. Um, So that night we, um, yeah, we met the neighbors. We played outside. We did all this stuff. We had McDonald's pizza, like when McDonald's had pizza back then. That's how old we are. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And I remember like, her sitting at the table with me, um, she put on Ace Ventura Pet Detective on the TV for my brother. And to this day, I still can't watch that movie. Um, and I'll never forget seeing the back of his head watching that movie while I sat at the table with her. And she would like she talked to me like she was like my friend, you know, she'd be mm-hmm. like, have you got your period yet? And all this stuff, like talking about anything and everything. Tell me about your mom, like what's going on? I know it's so hard. And I remember her offering me alcohol. Um, and and I how old were you? Nine. And I remember being like, no, like, I'm not taking that. Like, no, thank you. And she'd be like, it's just a cooler. Like, you can just taste it if you want. And I was like, no, I don't want to. Like, and we just sat at the table talking for so long. And then I remember her being like, hey, well, Jim, Jim went to bed. He went to the back room and he went to bed. And um, she offered, she told, gave me the two pills again, as she always did. And she was like, here, take these pills. And she always got me to drink them with milk. I don't know why I remember that. And when she wasn't looking, um, I took the two pills and I put them in my napkin from having the pizza and I hid them and I threw them in the garbage. And um, I don't know what happened specifically after that but I remember like some time went by and um, she's like well you must be getting really tired she's like your brother's still watching a movie so I'm gonna put you in bed with Jim 
And I remember thinking like, and I was like, no, no, that's okay. And she's like, no, it's okay. Like, it's so loud out here. You must be so tired. Like, she really, really pushed it. And I remember her. Yeah. Do you remember feeling afraid or? uh, I was really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember her really pushing it and then saying to me as we were walking down the hallway, um, you know, Jim sleeps naked, but he's fast asleep. So it'll be fine. And she put me in bed with him. And what do you remember in that moment? I was scared. Like, I remember just like leg shaking, can't feel my legs. Mm -hmm. Like it was, I was really, really scared. Um, And I remember her leaving the room and it literally took minutes before he rolled over and started to try and touch me. And um, I would roll over and then he would do it again. And I'd roll the other way and he'd do it again. And it felt like an eternity. Mm -hmm that it went on for because he it was really this game of like him trying to get in there and like try and like touch me in all these ways and it didn't take him very long to figure out like oh she's fighting me something's not right like she's not she's not asleep like what's going on and I remember like just laying there as tight as I could and he got up and I looked over and I could see him naked walking out of the bedroom and I was just so terrified and there was like nowhere for me to go there was nowhere for me to go and um I remember hearing Crystal come down the hallway and she came and sat on the end of of the bed and I was so scared and she the first thing she said to me she said did you take those pills and I don't even think I spoke I just shook my head no and she was like why like mad and I knew I was in trouble Mm -hmm. um And I just said, I don't know. I don't know. And then she said to me, um, you know, Jim just did that to test you to see if you would ever touch our daughter inappropriately or hurt our daughter. And you passed the test is what she said to me. And do you remember believing her in that moment? Um, I think I I I was two things. I think I was horrified that anyone would think I would ever do that. It was a really foreign concept to me. I just like couldn't wrap my head around that. But also I was relieved that they trusted me. I was like, oh, thank God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I was so scared. And I remember her being really mad. And she was like, well, I'm just going to go put you on the couch. Your brother's asleep. So, and I was freaking terrified because it's a very small trailer. And I knew he'd gone down the hallway. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to walk past him. Like this, I, I was terrified. Like I didn't even know if I could move. And we walked down the hallway and he was nowhere to be found. And there was this one room in the trailer that was always locked. The door was always locked. And they said, never, ever go in there. It's Jim's office. You don't go in there. And I always wondered why. And I thought, oh, that he must be in his office. And it turns out learning through trial, um, that was his office where he could watch everything that was going on in the entire trailer. Right. Because they had all the video recordings of, yeah. of, of everything. Yeah. So what happens then? You go back out I go back out um, and I can see my brother sleeping on the other side of the couch. And how old was your brother at this time? He was three. Okay, so he's really little. He was so little, yeah. Um, And he was sleeping on the other side of the couch, on the other couch, on the other side of the room, sorry. And she put me on the other couch as we normally did. And she's like, hey, good night. Like, she's mad. And uh, she's like, we'll talk about this in the morning. I got to talk to Jim about what you did and didn't take the pills. And I, I felt very, very in trouble. And I laid there wide awake. Like I was rattled. Like I, I remember like my heart pounding out of my chest for what felt like hours, but it, it, I just couldn't calm down. Um, and I, all of a sudden I heard him coming down the hallway and I could see a glimpse of him still naked. 
And all I could do was close my eyes as tight as I could and hold my breath so I didn't move. And he walked directly over to me on the couch and put his hands. I was on my side and he put his hands on my arms, just waiting to see if I'd move like this game of chicken. Like he knew I didn't take the pills. He knew I wasn't asleep. And he stood there forever. It felt like and I did not freaking move. Like I stayed as still as I could. And then finally he took his hands off me and I could hear him starting to walk away. And I like slowly opened my eyes and um, he was completely naked. And I watched him walk over to the other couch and pick up my brother and carry him to the back of the trailer. That must have been so terrifying for you. I can't even, it's something that like, I will never forget. I can't unsee it. I can't like, it's something I've worked on and buried really my entire life. Um, Cause you, cause now at this point, um, at this point, would you say you're like acutely aware of what's really going on? I'm very aware of what's going on and I'm scared. Um, So at that point, like I, I'm in flight or fight and, um, I know I have to do something like I've always protected him from my mom, from anyone like I've always protected him. I've been the one when my mom would throw things across the room and it would hit him in the head and he'd be bleeding. I'm taking my two year old brother to the bathroom to clean it up and bandage him and tell him it's OK. Like I always protected him. And in that moment, I couldn't. So I when they go down the hallway, I wait a bit and um I panic and I get up and I'm like, I have to call someone. I have to call my aunt. I knew my stepdad was at a party, but I didn't know how to get a hold of him. I mean, there's no cell phones back then, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the only number I knew off by heart was my aunt. And I'm ripping through the house trying to find a phone. And for the first time, I realized there's no phone here. There's no phone in that house for me to call anyone. So I'm like, what do I do? And all of a sudden, I think I just met the neighbors. And honest to God, I was like, I'm running next door. And I'm going to tell the neighbors. And I was like, do I put my shoes on? What do I do? And I I remember picturing it standing there as a little girl. Like, what if I don't get out of the house? What like, what do I do? And I'm trying to amp myself up. And all of a sudden it hit me. And I was like, what if the neighbors are in on it? And I'm still in danger. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, if they do that, then they'll kill me. I I literally thought they will kill me if I do this. And I made the choice to go lay back down on the couch and go back to sleep. And I've never, ever forgive, forgiven myself for that. Um, it's super, super hard to wrap my head around and accept, but I'm working on it still to this day. But it's something I've carried my entire life. Yeah, but again, you know, you're into it. These were really, really dangerous people. Um, very, very. And w- w- I have a lot more questions about, you know, their arrest and the trial and those types of things. But again, very dangerous people. Yeah. And you know what? I've learned through um, what I've found out through trial and what I've worked on through therapy is um, I've carried my whole life thinking that I didn't protect him. Like I I couldn't even look him in the eye. Like to this day, I can't even look at him. But what I've learned is that I actually saved our life because they would have killed us. Like that was next. And I always regretted not taking those pills because I wouldn't have remembered what happened. But I also have to remember that because I didn't, the abuse stopped. Yeah. Why did she put me in bed with him that night? He was going to rape me. Yeah. Like 
if I would have ran out. And he had been. You just hadn't remembered. I don't didn't remember anything. And like I would have remembered everything if I would have just like it. It's just I'm trying really hard to remember that I actually did do the right things. And as a nine year old little girl, I did something braver than anybody could possibly even do as an adult. I'm trying to reframe how I how I think of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and exactly what you said. I mean, the bravery that you showed in that moment um, really did save your life and your brother's life. It did. Yeah. So that morning, now you know mm-hmm. what's know. going on. Yeah. And so everybody wakes up. Where do you go? Do you go to school? Do you go back home? What happened? You know, I think we went back home. I mean, honestly, just being in survival mode, I think I blocked a lot of it out. What happened after that? Well, and actually, I, I have a question as well. Um, and I'm not sure if you have the answer, but do you think that your mom and your grandfather knew that you were being abused? Mm. This is a question I've asked my entire life. Thank you so much for joining me for episode one of Invisible Scars. I'm Jessalyn Biederstadt, and this episode was all about my personal story. There are many important details that I want to cover, so I've split my story into two parts. This week was part one, so be sure to tune in next week to hear the remainder of my journey in part two. Each week, I'll be sitting down with other trauma survivors, individuals affected by trauma, and trauma specialists to hear their stories and provide valuable resources. Remember, your scars do not define you, and you are not alone on your healing journey. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and share it with a friend who might benefit from listening. See you next week.